Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. So we're trying something new today, although we're only on episode 13, so sort of every format we use is new at this point. (laughs) But if you follow either myself, Kate, or Tamed Wild on social media... You've probably seen that we've been reaching out through the witch web, asking our listeners to share their questions related to witchcraft, ritual, or whatever else is on their mind. Yes, and we got so many responses that we decided to dedicate a whole episode to answering the ones that showed up the most frequently. I don't know about you, Kate, but I was really surprised that so many of our listeners were looking for And I'm going to use one of the terms that they used, but witchcraft 101 type conversations. There were a lot of people very curious about the craft, but not really knowing where to start or how they fit into this magical place. Yeah, definitely. And at first, listeners, Kristen and I were unsure of where to start with this. So I know we're both very grateful that you all gave us some more concrete questions to work with. Your questions were all heard, and if we don't get to them in this episode, they will hopefully inform our future episodes. So, Kristen... I'm wondering, how has your practice changed since you first began working with rituals and magic? Such a good question, but not an easy one to answer. I think for me, uh, I started with meditation when I was in my early 20s, and it wasn't long before I started seeing very tangible results. So I began adding in more elements into my practice and recording the outcomes, And then, of course, I started working for Tamed Wild in their original brick-and-mortar location and was surrounded by everything a witch could ever want or need. And then things just clicked. I fell in love with ritual and have never felt more at home. So I can easily say that ritual has influenced my practice in many ways, but more than anything, it feels like something I already knew and am just now remembering. I'm probably not explaining this the best, but Kate, maybe you can relate. You know when you perform a ritual and your intention comes into fruition in a super obvious way, it's like, how can you not feel powerful or aligned? I can't think of the perfect word right now, but it's definitely like the universe is giving you a nudge. Like, yeah, I heard you. Keep going. Let's see where this leads. 
Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I love what you're saying using the word remembering. Like some of this just feels so familiar and also natural, like a reflex. But I think there's also a little bit to be said for for flow. And like you're saying, the universe giving you a nudge, keep going. Like some of that flow might have to do with circumstance or timing and some of it with practice, I think. But some of it just begins to feel more natural. Definitely. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about being a public witch later, but did you kind of have a coming out of the broom closet moment? You know, there's not a specific moment that stands out to me. It was rather gradual and organic, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But I do recall a little girl walking into the apothecary one day, and I was sweeping the floors, and she just asked me if I was a witch. I think that was the first time anyone had ever asked me that. She then wanted to know if she could play with my magical broom, and we (laughs) chatted for a while. So that's not really a coming out type story, but it was the first time anyone ever referred to me as a witch. But speaking of kids, I know that you've kind of grown up around magic, or at least a magical way of thinking. Leave it to a young child to kind of be the first one to call you that. I love that. (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah, definitely. I'm still laughing about a fairy costume photo that I posted on Instagram this morning. I think I was really lucky growing up to have a lot of magical encouragement. Like my mom had like hand dyed those Goodwill tights and shirt and glued um, plastic ivy onto a crown for me. Like, thank you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that we've talked a lot about the fae folk, but You know, one of my favorite stories is that my sister and I used to leave fairies offerings and letters in the garden, and my mom, to kind of encourage this way of thinking, started writing back to us. (laughs) So sweet. so, So she was, you know, posing as these two flower fairies named Lily and Buttercup, and it was just the most magical thing. And the funny part to me is that the other moms in my friend group had to then start writing fairy letters to their kids, too. Because everyone was so jealous that I was showing up to elementary school with fairy pen pals. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so sweet. I think a fairy pen pal is every kid's dream come true. Yeah, and or adults also. Yes, true. <laughs> so if you take my childhood stuff like that and pair it with my degree in poetry and my career in herbalism and psychedelics and the occult, I've always gotten to live a little bit out of the broom closet, which has been a really great privilege that I don't take lightly. I know that there have been moments where I tried to hide it to fit in more, especially in high school. But, you know, I love the internet because it's allowed for a lot of freedom around meeting folks who live far away now. And so like you and I, the witch wide web reaches far and wide. Yes. Um, I've seen a lot of people, too, asking for a coven during COVID in the questions that we received. And I just have to say, like, we're here for it. The witch wide web is here for it. Absolutely. So, Kristen, this is a big question that we got. Where to start without being misinformed? This is always a tough question for me to answer, but also one that I know we all ask ourselves at some point. Mm -hmm. So before I mention some resources, I think it's helpful to note that as humans, we are misinformed every day, sometimes intentionally, other times accidentally, but 
Once you realize that everyone lives in a world that they've created with their own ideas, their perceptions of right and wrong, and how they think things should be, you naturally start to filter out what you wish to absorb and what you're going to send back. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to witchcraft, it's not much different. Right now, there are so many resources for the curious ones or anyone just starting out on this journey. There are endless books, websites, workshops, mentorships, podcasts (laughs) that you can turn to uh, just to get your toes in the water and see how it feels. But it's also important to remember that just because someone is a witch, even a very popular or highly regarded witch, that doesn't mean you have to take everything they say as truth because their truth might be different than ours their purpose is likely different than ours. I love how you said that. Yeah, it's so easy to get lost in comparison. But that being said, if witchcraft is new to you, where do you start? It probably won't surprise anyone who's been listening for a while, but as a bookworm, I can easily say that books are a doorway into this world. Not that TV or film is a bad way to go either, because we all love practical magic, But I can easily get lost in the written word. And even if you read a book that was just okay, authors will usually have an impressive bibliography in the back where you can find a whole new list of book recommendations. It depends on what area of witchcraft is drawing you in, but if you want a text to use sort of as a resource, The Grimoire for the Green Witch by Anne Mora talks about the Sabbaths, elemental associations, plant magic, a little bit about astrology, crystals, deities. It doesn't go into depth about anything, but it's a great starter book. Also, the Sabbath series books by Llewellyn, which I believe are on Tamed Wild site, are super helpful for learning about the annual celebrations. And the book that Kate wrote for Tamed Wild, all about the Wheel of the Year, paints a really beautiful picture for readers as well. Thank you so much. (laughs) You are so welcome. And then there's also Frances F. Denny, who we had on the show a couple of episodes ago, who just released her book, Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America. In this book, you get to see so many different faces of the craft, which is very valuable. Beyond books, I would say if possible, get a copy of your family tree or make your own. Research your ancestors. Get a free natal chart reading. I like cafe astrology. Or if you can afford it, pay a professional astrologer to help you learn about yourself from a cosmic standpoint. You can also sign up for online classes about witchcraft or plant medicine. Coursera.com has free classes from accredited universities, which is such a great offering, especially when you're strapped for cash or just live in the COVID era. Mm -hmm. You can go to the library or use bookstore and spend an afternoon perusing the New Age or spiritual sections. Maybe even try some casual bibliomancy by closing your eyes and choosing a book based on touch and intuition. I feel like that was a lot of information, so I'll be sure to add these resources from today in our show notes. But basically, witchcraft is everywhere. It's up to us, though, to find an area that resonates and speaks to us, and then just see where it leads you. Kate, do you have anything to add? 
had for new witches looking for a place to start? I think that, you know, it's important to realize that you never know everything too. Like, mm-hmm. like I know that I consider myself like a constant student of all of the things that I love. And so you'll never kind of reach a destination where you're like, okay, like I've got all of this down. So also being kind of patient with yourself in that sort of learning experience, I think is really important. Um, you know, I also think like you're saying, read and absorb, but also trust yourself and your guides and your ancestors. Like, I usually ask myself, um, when I come across a piece of information, does this resonate with me? Is there a core of truth to it? What does the story or piece of magic help me access or who does it connect me to? And I think really asking questions and coming to knowledge with love, but also a critical brain has supported me in this continuing journey. Definitely. So one of our listeners asked about pendulums, and I'm curious myself, do you have any tips for using a pendulum board? Hmm, yes. I think uh, what was most important for me was to really establish a baseline of intuition with the pendulum. So I would check in with myself with questions I already knew the answer to, and in doing this, I would practice listening to my inner intuition to say yes, no, and then seeing how my pendulum reacted to these energies. After kind of working to establish this relationship or baseline and getting really familiar with my pendulum, then it would get easier for me to kind of understand if I'm bringing a board into the practice. Has that kind of been your experience too? Yeah, pendulum divination blows me away every time, but I am very partial to my pendulum I feel like we have a strong bond, which is key. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I have a pendulum board, but I typically divine without one. So I don't really have any pro tips for using a board per se, other than just like what you said, calibrating and bonding with your pendulum until you develop a stable connection. The next question that we have from listeners is, how do you stay motivated in your practice when you are exhausted? We all feel this question, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the year-plus-long pandemic, our work-life balance, or lack thereof, or any number of the injustices that make us want to scream on a daily basis. When we're exhausted, it's easy to overlook our spiritual practice because somehow it doesn't feel like a necessity in the moment. Like, we will survive if we don't clean our altar and light a candle for Hecate. But these rituals are not just for Hecate, they're for us and the greater good. Our ritual practice is a way to get in touch with how we're feeling in the moment, what we need, and it's also a reminder to call back all the energy that we've scattered everywhere throughout the day. It's a form of self-care and self-preservation. I remember that one of the people who wrote in asking this question mentioned that she had a young child, and so she struggled with finding the time and energy for her practice. And just so everyone knows, I feel absolutely unqualified to give anyone (laughs) with children advice because I don't have kids. But that being said, I remember as a child, one of my aunts, who is a mother but not a witch, talking to my dad about how to stay committed to his health. I don't remember what exactly she was referencing. I think it might have been like how to motivate yourself to go to the gym or something like that. And she said, so simply, 
you just have to treat it like brushing your teeth. And for whatever reason, that stuck with me. So then flash forward to 2017, when Tamed Wild had their brick-and-mortar apothecary, and Shelby, the owner and creatrix herself, would be leading our moon gatherings. Before the ritual began, she would always start with a little introduction that would explore what a ritual is. I can't remember the exact words she used. Uh, They were really eloquent, but one of the things she said was that anything we do regularly and with intent is a ritual, even the simple things like brushing our teeth. I wish I could have been there too. Uh, Me too. You would have loved it. I am very much looking forward to the night when we can have moon gatherings again. Agree. The whole brushing your teeth thing might seem so silly, but it's a ritual that I think a good chunk of the world can relate to. We don't brush our teeth because someone is forcing us to, but because we know that it's something we need to do for ourselves, our health, and overall well-being. So maybe try to think of your spiritual practice the same way. These big, beautiful, full moon rituals that we see on social media are very impressive, but that doesn't mean that an eight-minute meditation, if that's all you have, will be any less effective. From talking with my fellow witch friends, who are also parents, I'm often so impressed with their time management. They see the value in those eight minutes, and they hardly let a free moment go to waste. I also think that as kids get older and they start seeing their parents partaking in rituals, that they'll want to become a part of them. And then that just expands your practice in a whole new way. Yeah, and I love that. I think that the word silliness that you said earlier, too, brought something out for me. Like, I think that silliness can be brought into ritual and practice. Like, when I'm feeling really beat down, I'm like, okay, like... What does honoring myself look like? Maybe that's sleeping or sitting against a tree or honoring myself today looks like dancing to Dua Lipa in my living room. And Mm -hmm. that's a practice, you know, and calling back that energy. Like you said, like ecstasy and joy is also a part of all of it. Like if I pour myself a glass of champagne, I give my altar a little dish of it too. Like Banu Kapil, who we talked about in the Word Witch episode, said to me, she said, we need to grieve for our ancestors, but we also need to dream for them too. One or the other is not enough. So I often think about bringing that balance of of joy um, into some of the more serious rituals that I have. I was once working with Robin Rose Bennett, and we did a meditation around the wise woman together, and I had this moment with a spirit guide where she handed me a piece of moss, and I felt like she was really telling me to soften, you know, like there's a lot to be learned from moss as a witch, especially when times are tough. I'm happy that I'm not the only one who's drawn to moss. Must be a witch thing. I saw a meme the other day that said, is there a dating site for people who talk to moss? (laughs) (laughs) If there's not, there definitely should be. Agreed. So the next question, have you ever worked with magic from a different cultural practice? This is a really great question. Um, And I think that appropriation in magic and in the witchcraft community is a huge conversation. Um, So just to touch on this briefly, Uh, I think that it's really important 
at least for me, to work ancestrally with magic. Um, Like, I know, Kristen, you've worked with a family tree to connect back with ancestors. Mm -hmm. I've worked with um, stories from my grandparents and parents around family lineages, etc. But I think that we can deeply appreciate and honor other practices without appropriating them into our own, though. Like, I've done a bit of reading around voodoo, and I would never practice it myself because that's not my lineage. But, you know, I went and listened to the Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers speak last spring, which if you're not familiar with their work, they are amazing. (laughs) But Grandmother Bernadette from Gabon had so much beautiful wisdom that I will take with me, and I feel so grateful to have been blessed with her presence, you know, even if we don't share a culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also have a friend who's very studied in Nordic practices, and I learn a lot from them about folk magic in Sweden, but I don't put much of it into my own practice. And, you know, I have another friend who grew up practicing Santeria in her family, and we talk a lot about our individual practices. Something I loved was over the holidays, we had this beautiful discussion about how cloves and oranges are used in both of our ancestral practices. So we ended up saying a little prayer to each other's ancestors and saying thank you, which was a really powerful experience. What about you, Kristen? I think you said it so well. Appreciation and appropriation is a fine line to walk. I know it adds an extra layer of uncertainty when you're adopted, Mm -hmm. or maybe you don't know or align with your family's history for one reason or another. I know that in my own family tree, even just right outside my immediate family, there are holes and secrets. But lucky for us, we live in the modern world. So if we are really wanting to, you know, pinpoint our roots, we can rely on any of the many ancestry DNA kits available to the masses. Definitely. Um, Next question is how to be out as a witch or release the concerns that come with being a public witch. This question feels very personal, so thank you to the many who asked this. It gave me the opportunity to dig into this query as it's something that I think about pretty often. I don't want to generalize, but I think a good amount of witches value privacy, so coming out of the broom closet is not always an easy task especially when you consider that until recently, it wasn't safe for people to identify as witches. And in certain places in the world, it still isn't. For me, it was helpful to write out my definition of the witch. That way, when people approached me, either out of curiosity, admiration, or wanting to challenge me in some way, I felt more confident and willing to speak my truth. I'm going to assume that the people who ask this question maybe live in an area where witchcraft is frowned upon, or maybe it goes against what their familial belief system says, and that's probably the case for a lot of us. But there will likely come a point when hiding your ritual tools and your spellbook is just not working for you anymore. And at that point, you just stop hiding, or at least that's what I did. I stopped moving my spell candles when guests came over, and I stopped shying away from discussions about the crystal grid set up in the middle of my living room floor. You'd be surprised to learn how many people are dismissive or fearful of the craft only because they're curious. 
I will say that if you're thinking about coming out publicly as a witch, it definitely helps to surround yourself with other witches, either in person or virtually. I can honestly say that 99% of my witch friends are people like Kate that I talk to all the time, but I've only seen their face through a computer screen. But even still, it's so valuable to have people in your life that share your viewpoints on the craft, but that are also doing the work themselves. Things that cause us embarrassment or shame are often doorways to shadow work. So if the idea of outing yourself as a witch triggers that sort of emotional response, I see that as a threshold. You can either stay put and life goes on as you know it, Or you can step into the unknown and know that you have many witches who can't wait to meet you. Two things. One, I'm trying to imagine in what world Banjo lets me set up a crystal grid in the middle of the living room. And I love how you said this, Kristen. Like, I know that people also have asked us a lot about shadow work, which I think that we should put a pin in to discuss in a later episode. Um, But there is something about being a public witch that's really interesting, especially with social media being the way that it is. And like Kristen, I have so many friends who I've never met or rarely meet in person. And when you're a bit more public about your interests, I feel as if you're sending out a soul flare and so that others can see you for who you are and come and meet you there. So in doing this, you may be pleasantly surprised by who you may get to speak to or become close to if you can and are able to let the world see you. I know that before writing this today, I went to my oracle deck and drew Baba Yaga and also Gildeptis. So Baba Yaga is the wild woman card, and Gildeptis is all about synthesis and wholeness. So I think for me, when I was able to work towards integrating the different parts of myself together, I was able to be more fully realized as a being and as a witch. When you're able to name yourself and honor yourself, it's a really powerful moment, and it doesn't just have to be one moment. It can be a continual process and a growth of unearthing. I think that was such a beautiful way to end the episode, Kate. Thank you for sharing your cards with us. And also big thanks to Baba Yaga and Gildeptis for showing up. And of course, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy, and at K8Blue. Send us all your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk more magic and alchemy. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it, so mote it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>